The content of the podcast is for information only and doesn't amount to advice or recommendations on which any reliance should be placed. We recommend that you make independent inquiries before taking any action on the back of this podcast. Good day, friends. I'm Scott Reeves, and welcome to another episode of Borderless Business with Santander, the podcast for internationally experienced and internationally ambitious UK businesses. Throughout this series, you'll hear about opportunities, you'll hear about challenges, and of course, you'll hear about the solutions that you'll want to know about to help you and your business take your next step, whatever that step may be, towards international growth. Now, we'll be talking to industry insiders, key government officials, and then market solutions providers from countries all across the globe, leaning on their expertise to understand what it is that you should be thinking about. And we will, of course, be talking to business owners, managers and entrepreneurs who may have trodden the same path that you're about to embark on and want to share their experiences for your benefit. Now, today I'll be chatting about the UK skills shortage with Chris Keenan, CEO of Unibees, a platform that can connect you with top emerging talent from every university in the UK based on the skills that your business needs. And also I'll be chatting with Mark Holmans, Director of Strategy and Operations from our Santander Universities Division. But before that, I'd like to introduce a new monthly segment on the show where we hear about what exactly is going on in the market and what that means for us. So with that being said, we have Gabrielle Willis from Santander Corporate and Investment Bank to explain some of this for us. So first of all, welcome to the show, Gabriella. Now tell us what exactly is going on in the markets right now? Hi, thanks, Scott. So the Bank of England raised rates by a quarter percent, from 4% to 4.25%. This was against a backdrop of very volatile markets. We've seen that the SVB crisis and Credit Suisse really made markets quite jittery in the run-up to this decision. Certainly a lot going on in the banking market right now. Um, now, I'm assuming that that wouldn't be the only reason, right, that the Bank of England would want to raise rates. So the whole motivation of this rate hike was to try and tackle this inflation. As you know, inflation is incredibly high at the moment, it's above 10%, which is far too high from their target levels. Bearing in mind the Bank of England target of 2% level inflation, that is very, very high. So the reason why they were doing this is to try and dampen demand by increasing the amount of savings that people do versus spending. That's kind of the whole driver of inflation, this really pent up and quite resilient demand. Hmm. Right, okay. And then, so what do you think then um, the Bank of England is going to do next? I mean, is it done with these rate hikes or are we going to see a little bit more of them? Maybe, but unless inflation drops by a lot, I don't think this is the end. We think that potentially there could be another quarter point rate hike on top of the one that we've already seen, potentially bringing it, the base rate to 4.5%. The key metric that they're looking at is the labour market, actually. So watching what sort of pay agreements they're going to get, how many vacancies there are. These are all really important metrics for the Bank of England that they used to when making these decisions. Okay, and um, what do the what do these rate hikes then mean for the, for the wider economy for the rest of us then? So it essentially means that savings rates, deposit rates increase, really encouraging people to save rather than spend. And as we say, spending is kind of what's driving this whole inflationary environment. Mm. So they're really trying to stop people from spending, which sounds crazy, but that's what they need to do in order to tackle this inflation. 
Well, certainly from a personal perspective, I also need to stop spending. So hopefully these have an effect on me individually. I can tell you that um, my bank balance would would, uh, would thank me for it. But joking aside, um, thanks very much, Gabriella. For the first time in a long time, I feel suitably enlightened about what's actually driving the Bank of England's actions. And nice to get the motivations behind them too, as well, of course. And certainly looking forward to hearing from you and the team next month and every month thereafter. And in actual fact, um, we now have a perfect foundation for the next discussion as I turn to my main guests for today, Chris Keenan and Mark Homans. Chris, Mark, thanks very much for joining us today. I um, really appreciate the time that you're taking to come and join us to talk about all things uh, UK skills shortage. So thanks very much. First, before we get into the nuts and bolts, how are you both doing today? Chris, I'll come to you. Yeah, very well, thanks. The sun's out, so uh, all is good. <laughs> um, small blessings, Chris, right? Um, yeah, let's just a little bit cloudy where I am. Hopefully it doesn't uh, get any worse because if it is, then I'm going to have to take my washing in. Um, Mark, how about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not sure where Chris is, but I, I definitely don't have some. But Chris, I might have to come and join you. It's very cloudy and windy here. <laughs> well, listen, I'm from Scotland, so uh, I think it was about 19 years ago when I'm up there, the last time I saw my shadow. So I do feel for you, Mark. <laughs> but um, listen, I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. It's basically, I feel like a toddler who knows that his mum's got sweets in the bag. Um, I just want to dive right in. I'm so excited to have you both here. Um, last week, we were joined by John Carroll and Francis Hake, and we were chatting about the 2023 findings of the, the Trade Barometer, um, or at least the, the findings from the most recent release. And we were just chatting a little bit about uh, what's happening to the the wider economy here in the UK right now. And one of the major themes that was brought out was the skills shortage that a lot of businesses are experiencing right now. So just coming straight into my, my first question, to be honest, um, if I can come to you again, Chris. Um, so we found out that UK businesses are finding it really challenging to attract the right types of skills and the right type of talent from the marketplace right now. Um, is that something that you're seeing too? Yeah, look, um, Scott, let's be honest about this. There's, there's absolutely no question whatsoever that there is a talent and skill shortage um, right across the UK. Um, and the effects of, of, of that issue are impacting all of us. Um, you know, we've seen just, just this week another increase in inflation um, fueled by wage uh, rises and increased food prices, um, both of which are symptomatic of the pressure in the labour market. So we know in simple terms um, from the Bank of England monetary report that labour demand, which is measured by the number of employment and the number of job vacancies, is now above pre-pandemic levels. So that's mm. recovered. But unfortunately, the labour supply is below pre-pandemic levels caused by an increase in economic inactivity. And that's right. simply defined as those people not in work or not looking for work. So on one level, it's a simple supply and demand equation. But we also know that, that Brexit um, has seemingly added additional pressure, specifically in retail, oh. hospitality and food production. And in other sectors, um, such as um, digital, so digital skills uh, in the market, uh, you know, we've got, a, we've got a great lack, there's a chronic shortage. And, and that, in, in terms of the impact in the UK, is forecast to cost UK businesses 12.8 billion pounds over the next 12 months. Wow. So it's a serious problem with complex reasons um, and, 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 one, and ones that must be addressed. 
Right, I see. I mean, it's, it's going to be a multivariate problem, right? But thank you so much for, for some of the insight that you just shared there. Um, I had no idea um, just where we were in terms of um, pre-pandemic levels. So it's, I mean, it's be easy for me to say it's scary, but I mean, hopefully we're seeing a trend um, whereby, you know, kind of we're, we're seeing those levels come down a little bit. Um, moving to to you then, Mark, um, are you seeing the, the same thing? Yeah, Scott, I am. I mean, it's, it's definitely a challenge and it has been for, for some time. And I think it's borne out of numerous sexism reports. Um, we actually recently commissioned some research with Public First that highlighted employer views on skill shortages, which I've kind of crudely classified in two high level areas, so technical skills and behavioural. And I think I'd, I'd quite like to share some examples. So in financial mm. services, a recent financial services skills commission report highlighted the constantly changing skills needs for the sector. And they've actually changed by an average of 25.7% since 2015. And it highlights two categories of future skills um, in their future skills framework that's described in the report. So technical skills, so um, user experience, AI, agile, cybersecurity, and then behaviours such as empathy, adaptability, relationship management and teamwork came through pretty strongly. In technology and data, Last year's Tech Nation People and Skills report outlined the top 20 skills required in tech jobs. And unsurprisingly, the top five include data, management, engineering, security and clients. And in the green job space, Green Alliance's closing the UK Green Skills Gap report highlighted that beyond STEM, the areas that were critical for the workforce to deliver net zero, it's digital data, project management, change, leadership and communication. So yeah. when you kind of look at it more broadly, Mm -hmm. CBI's Skills for an Inclusive Economy report, which uh, published last year, identified industry-specific technical knowledge and leadership and management skills as the biggest priority skills areas for development in the next three to five years, closely followed by digital skills. So I think skill shortages are, are very real. Um, increasingly, all businesses are competing for talent with the requisite technical and behavioural skill. The pace of change is only accelerating and as we continue to digitalize we're going to need businesses to really think about their needs now and in the medium to long term and this will no doubt include a need to upskill and reskill existing talent and workforce alongside the development of effective strategies to go and recruit um, emerging top talent Right. OK. I mean, from the skills that you just kind of outlined there as well, you can see that there's a clear um, kind of crossover with those particular skills as well in all of the industries. So obviously, if somebody's experiencing a shortage in one particular sector, they're going to see that uh, shortage across all the other sectors as well, specifically for those, those skills that you mentioned there. Um, really, really fascinating. So thanks very much for that, Mark. Um, I mean, I'll come back then to, to kind of the obvious question, and you already touched upon some of this as well, just um, in your previous answer there, Chris, but what do you think is the main reasons, um, outside of those that, that you just touched on, um, that businesses are facing this challenge specifically, and, and why right now, do you think? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it, there are two issues, you know, skills on one side, as Mark just went through there, which, which, you know, we, we see that that's, that's going to be a, a big issue in a, in a very dynamic marketplace. Mm. And then on the other side is the labor shortages. So, you know, the government skill and labor shortages report, which was updated in January, states the increase in economic inactivity. So that's the people who are not putting their hat in the ring, who don't necessarily put their hand up for a job is due to 27% suffering from long-term illness, mm. and 13% have retired, and 27% are classified as students. Right, okay. So, 
So if, if you take that, um, you know, we find ourselves in a perfect start, storm, really. The, the pandemic allowed employees to reevaluate what they want from work uh, and what they want from their lives as well. And so what happened is we know that a large number of people opted to walk away from employment, effectively retiring early and improve their lifestyles as they see it. Long COVID also has significantly affected the number of long-term sick, and we still don't know what the final impact will be. So you take those two factors, and then you add, as Mark was saying there, to the fact that digital transformation has, was forwarded by at least a decade within six months um, by the necessity of remote working. We now have new types of jobs emerging almost on a daily basis that require new skills, ones that simply didn't exist even six months ago. So we've got five and a half million businesses in the UK, many new startups um, have, have, have arrived following uh, the pandemic, and they're all competing for what they perceive to be a limited talent pool. So in my opinion, the recruitment model as it currently exists for hiring talent has been broken for quite some time. And this okay. perfect storm of circumstances has exacerbated things further uh, for businesses trying to find talent and skills. It's fascinating that you say that. I mean, it's absolutely true. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends that, um, you know, sadly lost lost their jobs uh, during COVID and now when they're returning um, for them as well, like uh, hybrid working is a non-negotiable for them. They, they, they want a job that has that feature. Um, and obviously, I suppose if you've got some frictions from, from employers that, you know, do want their workforce um, back, it's going to be difficult. And then, like you said, if you've got then a recruitment model that's geared towards um, essentially pre-pandemic conditions, it's not going to work. It's really not going to work. Um, I mean, to be honest, don't get me wrong, I, I enjoyed um, the, the kind of the freedom that um, the pandemic afforded me, learned how to homebrew, whether that was a good idea or not, I don't know. <laughs> Certainly put a lot on my my waistline, put it that way. Um, whether it helped me adapt and, and get a new skill, um, I'll leave that open to interpretation. But Mark, coming to you, um, in terms of what you see the reasons are, um, would you agree with Chris? Would you would you say that that's pretty spot on or um, do you see something slightly different? No, I, I agree. I mean, there, there's several factors, right? I mean, employer investment in, in training is, is also decreasing. There was a recent Learning and Work Institute report which highlighted low levels of employer investment. And it was sort of backed by the Employer Pulse Survey, which again was last year, which mm. showed us that under half of employers funded or arranged any training over the last 12 months for their employees and for the areas that are investing in training um they're often businesses with the highest levels of mandatory training and, and i just wonder if the training is really addressing the technical and behavioral skills gaps in the right way so industries with highest levels of training provision are you know education health social work financial services but those with lower levels of training are often more practical and manual so i don't know transport primary sector utilities, wholesale, retail, construction. Um, and then you kind of look at SMEs and I think SMEs continue to experience a number of barriers to investing in training. So it's quite clear that larger businesses train a higher proportion of their employees. So businesses with 250 or more employees trained more than double the proportion of their total staff compared to those with two to four employees. Um, it was actually 62% to 30%. Um, and ONS data, as, as Chris just has alluded to, there's five and a half million SMEs in the UK that collectively employ 16 and a half million people in the sub 250 employee bracket. And that 
represents this real opportunity to upskill and, and reskill the workforce. Um, but SMEs often experience additional barriers compared to larger businesses. So cost, capacity, fear of losing training investment when staff move on are all um, elements and factors in, in why this is an issue. And I think the final bit I'd say is that people don't know what skills they need or where to get them. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that time and cost are a barrier. So post pandemic, as this labour demand has recovered faster than suppliers, as Chris was saying, recent research completed by Public First has highlighted that the role we all play as individuals within the workforce is a factor in itself. So a nationally representative survey, 4,000 people clearly showed that whilst people want to grow skills, they often don't know what skills they need, where to find them, and often don't have the time or financial resources to invest in personal and professional development. So it's a it's a complex issue and there's no easy solution to it. Um, I wish there was. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose, don't we all? Um, I mean, that's that's actually quite fascinating because then, I mean, Chris, you see it then as a, as a structural issue um, and obviously expanded upon the reasons why. And then um, what you've just said there, Mark, is I mean, I can relate to that myself, right? I don't know what I now need to take a look at next because I don't know what's needed next. Um, so, you know, they don't quite marry up in terms of incentives, really. Um, and I suppose in terms of information that's out there as well, um, what are employers looking for? What particular soft skills, et cetera, should I be looking at um, to try and develop, et cetera? Do, how do I find that information out? Um, absolutely fascinating, like I said. So then given this then, um, Obviously, there's a real challenge here, um, a multivariate challenge like we just spoke about. What do you think the government could do, the private sector could do to, to try and address both causes? And I'll come to you with that, Chris. OK, if we I mean, I think if we start with the government first and we look at, uh, at you know, at a macro level um, and we take the three economically inactive groups, that were identified by the government. So we look at the labor market first. I think the long-term sick, um, this is a difficult one to, to, to deal with. Um, this is still an unknown quantity and it's not an area where the government can expect quick wins. Um, if you're looking uh, secondly at the group uh, who have effectively opted out, um, have taken early retirement, um, I know the government are now looking at ways to incentivize that talent of a particular age back out of retirement. Um, and, and, and that's also incentivized um, with subsidizing reskilling. So as Mark was talking about there, um, you know, reskilling is, is an important part um, of any solution that mm -hmm. the government is looking at in terms of the skill shortages. And that will certainly help. But again, this is not an instant solution. This is not something that is going to happen overnight. It's going to take investment. It's going to take time. It's going to take thought leadership. But in terms of accessing and mobilizing the student market, mm -hmm. um, you know, the government are miles behind. And, and this is where UniBees provides a solution by building a market network to bring liquidity into the labor market. Um, but a mindset change is also needed from UK businesses um, around, as Mark was saying there, investing into, into skills training, but also um, looking more at a skills-based hiring. Um, you know, that is very much the future. And quite frankly, the future in terms of where it sits is now. So if you look at recent articles by Forbes, McKinsey & Co um, and Harvard Business Review, they've all recently um, been talking about a skills-based approach to building the future workforce. And I think that it's important to look 
uh, when you talk about that, to look at Gen Z who are digital natives and want to work in a different way. So for example, we're a solution that delivers well beyond the outdated traditional model of CVs, legacy experience, mm -hmm. and enables right. a diverse body of candidates to create a digital profile. Now that promotes and highlights their ability to deliver. And I think hirers need to really catch up with the way in which technology is moving and the way in which you know, potential mm -hmm. uh, employees want to be approached and found. Um, so I think there's, there's, there's work to be done in both the private and the public sector. It's, it's really, really interesting that you say that because um, I've just noticed recently as well. I mean, um, I sit on, you know, assessment centres um, and assessment panels for graduates and we've, in Santander anyway, recently moved to skills based hiring as well um, for, for all the reasons that you just um, kind of highlighted there. You know, we've moved away from that traditional, um, you know, testing and then um, CV like monitoring and screening, etc. It's about seeing what these people, what these girls and guys, um, et cetera, can do um, on the day. And let's see, let's have them showcase their skills. Um, so it's interesting to see that that's actually spreading throughout the market as well. And it's, it's not just kind of a play from us too. Um, and again, just like coming to yourself then, Mark, um, what about you? What do you think um, could be done to to address uh, some of these these symptoms that we're seeing with regards to the skill shortage? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, from a business perspective, I completely agree with Chris in that the whole way in which businesses hire needs to change. Um, yeah. so, so I won't repeat that because Chris has made the point really well. Um, I've talked about investing in, in, in upskilling and reskilling, but businesses do need to look at this. And I think there are opportunities out there, right? Degree apprenticeships, mm -hmm. as an example, are a really great way to upskill and reskill existing workers. It's sort of fair to say the scheme hasn't delivered all that it could have at this point, um, but it is a really nice alternative for those that are looking for paid employment while developing skills and experience. And also just, you know, it may be obvious, maybe it isn't, but it's not just for those seeking to leave further education. Um, this is actually for anyone that needs learning and, and growth opportunities. I think in the government space, um, employer investment in training needs stimulating right levers definitely could be pulled in order to, to encourage employers to invest more um including i don't know the introduction of a new skills tax credit as an example mm. could, could be something that, that could be explored and i think for the future the government are looking um to transform the way student finance works in the uk with the lifelong loan entitlement, which is going to be introduced in 2025. And it aims to empower adults to upskill or retrain throughout their working lives. Um, it's going to include degrees, high technical qualifications, and it's open up um, to everyone that wants opportunities that maybe haven't considered higher education before. And for me, I think the flexibility that it offers will help people to balance training and studies alongside other commitments, such as you know kids and finances and life and all of the bits that we all have to contend with um, and in turn I think it helps with social mobility and it, and it will then plug skills gaps and I think at Santander the world I work in um, and have done for some time um, you know we want to help people and businesses to prosper and we believe that education is today's solution to a prosperous tomorrow and aim to connect people anywhere with the skills to find jobs that build a brighter future so through our long-term support for education, which actually started back in 2007, we help in kind of three areas. So firstly, we help students make the most of their talent and turn education into employment. Mm -hmm. So we support people from underrepresented backgrounds to achieve their ambitions um, by providing scholarships, training, development, and networking and connection opportunities. 
think secondly, on the job experience is really key. So we offer connections and learning for the long term to boost people's potential. So free learning, enabling people to choose how and when they learn is offered in our online digital platforms free of charge. Bit of a plug, sorry. Um, <laughs> Feel free, and, I'll be plugging a t-shirt at some point. No yeah, doubt. <laughs> yeah. um, and then just finally, we, we invest in startups, SMEs and growth businesses as innovators of the future. So um, offering businesses a range of programmes to suit different stages and learning styles is, is really important for our Santander X platforms. But I think, you know, education isn't everything, but it's almost everything. And for us, it's our responsibility to help people with learning that build skills that helps them to get the jobs they want, which in turn, I think, supports social mobility, it fuels the economy and there's a direct societal benefit as a result. Absolutely. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, I mean, you've touched on both of you a lot there um, and I love that both of you were able to to touch on um, specifically what you both do as well which I'm going to come to now in just a second but um, so we've spoken then about um, the need to to reskill um, the workforce we've spoken about um, some of the things that government could take a look at some of the things that the businesses themselves could take a look at now given both of your backgrounds obviously you have um, niche solutions as well that, that essentially look to our emerging talent population so Mark you've just finished talking about some of the things that um, your team are looking at and Chris you touched very lightly and very briefly just a moment ago on what Unibees does. Could I ask you Chris just to kind of tell us a little bit more about the solution that Unibees actually provides and how that can help a business overcome potentially some of the skill shortages that they might be facing? Yeah um, so basically Unibees um, is designed and built um, to, to be a market network um, and I think I mentioned earlier, what we're trying to do is, is bring liquidity into that labor market. And that's liquidity, both in terms of people, um, right. in terms of undergraduates and graduates, um, but also in terms of skills. So it's it's the kind of double whammy. Um, and, and basically, it's an underserved <coughs> portion of, of the population, um, which has skills that can be brought directly um, to businesses um, you know, by 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 students who are who are either studying, so it could be first, second, or third years undergraduates at uni who have time to offer their uh, services for paid work, um, or likewise, it can be graduates and and postgraduates who are looking for career solutions. So the idea here is that um, you know students get a chance to access um, you know the, the the world of work, the professional world of work. Um, while studying, they get to understand different sectors, different markets, different cultures within businesses. They get a chance to test out their skills. So this is kind of on-job um, skill uh, upskilling as such. You become match fit because you've got a skill and then you've used it in a professional environment. And that gives them both confidence and also gives them value in terms of what they offer to businesses when they um, you know, turn up on day one. So their employability mm -hmm. status has improved. But what it's also doing, uh, and we've seen that through our platform, is you have a number of businesses who need people with skills today. They want to uh, engage with this talent group um, and, and get them inside their businesses, helping them. And it's everything from, you know, data visualization to social media moderation um, to paralegal work to audit. You name it. The, wow. the students have the skills and the businesses require them. 
and and basically the the the, the conversation that we we've, we've been having with Santander and the partnership we're building here is really a way in which we um, can become part of the Santander um, uh, uh, ecosystem with Santander universities on one side where where Mark and the team have got relationships with um, with 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 a large number of universities and uh, I believe over a million students and then and then on the other side of your ecosystem um, Santander Navigator and, and the CCB team through the um, through through the SME uh, toolbox are ways in which that your businesses can actually um, uh, utilize the Unibees platform uh, in order to um, help themselves and have added value so a direct access um, to to talent and skills. Great. So through Santander Navigator, you said there, um, Chris, in the, in the SME toolkit, is that right? Yes. Oh, ph phenomenal. So, yeah, obviously encourage anybody listening right now, if you want to learn a little bit more, um, those are two channels you could uh, take a look at to, to engage with Chris and, and team. Do absolutely encourage you to do so. Um, and just um, coming to, to you now, um, Mark, as well, obviously, um, you waxed a little bit lyrical in, in terms of what the team did just a moment ago, but um, could you give us just, just like a summation of, of what you and the, the San Unis team do? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just highlight two two points because there's lots that we do and I could talk about it for, for hours. And <laughs> I'm sure, absolutely. No, we don't, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so the first point I just want to highlight really is we, we have got an asset um, which all of our um, customers, communities, businesses can use completely for free. It's called Santander Learning Room. It's got 30,000 pieces of um, always on content available um, across all of the skills areas that I've talked about earlier in, in, in the session today. Um, so it's literally Google, Santander Learning Room, um, register and um, completely free to use. So do, do take a look, good, good for everyone. Um, the second point I'll just make really is around um, this, this kind of talent point specifically. So as Chris has said, we work with 75 university partners across the UK. And we know that universities are constantly seeking high quality employment opportunities for their graduates. And we know that universities by default are a talent production factory effectively. Right. Um, but I think what I'd call out is that it's not just upon graduation that businesses should be thinking about building relationships with potential candidates or university career services, that, that should come earlier. So we work with students throughout their undergraduate degrees and have spent many years providing fully paid internships that allow students to go and work in SMEs during years one and two or three of their degrees. And we found that working on short placements or slightly longer internships provides a unique opportunity for students to build experience that helps businesses solve immediate problems. But then this connection enables businesses to develop relationships with the talent prior to graduation. And what we know is over the years, we've placed thousands of interns and, and broadly, don't quote me, but broadly 50% of them have gone on to secure permanent employment in that SME because of the relationship Bill. that they developed yeah. exactly right with, with, with them during their undergraduate. So, mm -hmm. um, so that to us is something we're, we, we, we're quite proud of and it, and it works, it's proven. Um, and what we have got across the UK is a team of dedicated Santander University's relationship managers um, who work day in, day out with um, universities, students, and, and frankly, act as connectors between universities, talent and business. Um, so do um, do reach out if anyone wants to know more. Um, and just in terms of Unibees, I'd echo really what Chris has said. Um, Unibees just provides a really neat, smart digital solution to connect talent to, to business. And 
as we start to explore more with Chris, how um, we'll work together. Um, I have no doubt it will become um, a really powerful asset for us again to be able to, to really go and drive effective connections and, and good outcomes. Phenomenal. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Mark. And um, so would you describe that as um, neat? Uh, did you say tidy? <laughs> a neat and tidy solution? Uh, yeah, let's let's call it that. Chris, is that is that is that okay? <laughs> it's quite innovative as well, is what I'd say. And, and innovative <laughs> yeah. as well. Okay, so I, I basically, as soon as I saw you, Chris, those were all of the synonyms that I thought <laughs> personified. But listen, thank thank you so much um, to you both for taking the time to to chat. I mean, I we could chat like this forever, right? And I'm sure that we will um, again soon. I'd love to have you both on. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time once again to all the listeners. Please check out um, Chris and the UniBees team if you can um you can do that via um his website you can do that via um the santander navigator and the sme toolkit and obviously if you want to check out what santander universities and the team can do for you please contact either your local relationship manager in santander or again feel free to reach out to, to mark himself too but once again thank you very much for you both thanks scott thank you thanks scott and as Chris and Mark each go back to their busy days respectively um I also want to take the time to say thank you to you the listeners I really appreciate you choosing to join us on the second episode of Borderless Business with Santander. Without you, there is no show. And I'd like to ask a favour of you. When you get a moment, I'd love if you would like, subscribe and share the show with your colleagues, friends and peers that you think would benefit. And also, of course, if they find the show interesting too. It really helps us get the word out and it helps us bring you the best guests we can each and every episode. So with that being said, I hope you'll join us again in two weeks time. We'll be chatting bureaucracy and regulation, specifically the very first barrier most businesses come up against, customs declarations. We'll be chatting about the common difficulties and frustrations most people have with them and the ways that you're going to have to try and deal with them and overcome them as well. So I hope that you'll be looking forward to that episode just as much as I am. But until then, farewell friends. <laughs>